0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Unalienable Podcast. This is Michael Autry. As usual, the views expressed in this show are those of the author and do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of the Department of Defense, Department of the Navy, or the U.S. government. All right, I am back. I just got back from a five-week training mission up in Norway. It was this really cool NATO exercise with, I think, six different NATO countries all playing war with each other north of the Arctic Circle in the freezing cold. It was miserable and wet and cold, but my troops and I killed it up there and had a blast doing it. It was definitely the coolest exercise I've ever been on. Like I said, we were north of the Arctic Circle. We were out in the middle of these beautiful fjords, just surrounded by mountains. It was gorgeous. And soon I'll put a few pictures up on the Facebook page, so go check that out if you're interested. So anyways, that explains my long absence. Thank you all so much for your patience and understanding. It won't be too long until my next mission comes along and keeps me from putting out content. But I should be able to get a few episodes in between now and then. So the only housekeeping I have today is that soon I'll be trying a new type of episode. Now I'm not making any promises, it's just an idea I have. I'd like to make shorter episodes, like no longer than 15 minutes, preferably more like 10, that are just short and sweet and don't go into all the in-depth background like I do in most of my episodes. In this way, I can be a little more responsive to specific current events that pop up. I have a few things on my mind that I want to put out that I think would be perfect for this kind of episode. So I'm thinking the episode will be video-based, though I'll still release it on the audio platforms, and it'll be a lot less research and history-based, and more like my just kind of gut reaction to a certain event and some reasoning for why I feel that way. The idea for these episodes is not to dive deep... ...and go over every single detail of a specific issue... ...but instead to take a very narrow issue... ...and cover it quickly while it's still on people's minds... ...and it's still relevant in the news and current events. I'm still going to do my normal, long, thorough episodes... ...where I dive deeply and cover the history and take forever to write it. I'm just going to try to also, as topics pop up... ...react to them. And that's the point of these episodes. Just the initial reaction... No doubt many of them will end up with a follow-up episode that's more the classic, drawn-out, thorough kind. So I do have a specific topic in mind, and hopefully I can get that short episode out within a week of this one coming out. Anyways, on to today's topic. Today's episode is about birthright citizenship. So this is relevant right now because recently, President Trump said in an interview that he could end birthright citizenship, which is apparently guaranteed by the 14th Amendment, With an executive order. So I know I'm a little bit behind on this one. The news cycle goes so fast nowadays that people are already over this. But this is a very interesting and very important topic. And it's not every day that the president just throws out this perfectly constitutional thing to talk about. You know, like I've said before, politics today has almost nothing to do with the Constitution. It's just two sides arguing to get what they want. And the constitutionality of what's going on almost never comes up. But this one is specifically about the Constitution, so I have to talk about it, because that's kind of my thing. So this may be the only topic so far where I'm going into it with no preconceived notion at all. I've always taken for granted that people have birthright citizenship, and I never really saw that as being a problem. But this actually came up in my latest interview with Colin Moriarty, when we were talking about ways that we'd amend the Constitution He said he would get rid of birthright citizenship, and he gave a few good reasons for that, and I even said at the time that I'd never really thought about it. I just took it for granted, but I told Colin at the time that I'd have to reflect on that. I'd have to ponder it, because he made some good points. If you haven't heard that conversation, I recommend going back and listening to it. It's Colin's Last Stand, Fireside Chats, I believe episode 55. So I really haven't finished pondering that question. I think it's a very worthwhile debate, and it's important to talk about the pros and cons of our immigration system, including what happens when foreigners have babies on American soil and what that means for the parents and the rest of the family. So all of that is a long way of saying Colin made some good points. I'm not totally sure whether or not I agree with his solution, but none of that is the point of today's episode. Today's episode is all about what the 14th Amendment says what it means, and how it applies. The question of whether or not to change it is a totally different, deeply ethical debate. So let's start with the most important thing, the text itself. And the 14th Amendment's pretty long, so I'm just going to read the part that pertains to today's topic. The 14th Amendment begins, quote, All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside, end quote. This section of the 14th Amendment is known as the Citizenship Clause. Now, there's two big questions I want to answer here today. The first question is actually a pretty old question. It's been argued about for a long time. It did not just start because of President Trump's interview. And that question is, what does the Citizenship Clause actually mean? And the second question is, can the President or Congress just end birthright citizenship? So let's start with what it means. Now, like all questions of construction on this show, I'm going to start with how the Supreme Court has ruled on this issue. But, like I've said many times before, I think Supreme Court decisions deserve very little weight when it comes to questions of construction. And instead, the original intent of the drafters of the Constitution or the Amendment, along with the well-understood meaning of the words at the time, are what really matter in questions of construction, of constitutional meaning. It's called originalism. It's the philosophy our founders intended for us to have, and it's the only appropriate philosophy when interpreting the Constitution. If you haven't heard my explanation for that, please go back and listen to Episode 9 on the Supreme Court. All right, so the first major Supreme Court decision that I'm going to talk about is the 1884 case Elk versus Wilkins. Long story short is Elk was a Native American who had renounced his tribal citizenship and was trying to vote. But the court decided that even though Elk was born in the United States, he was not a citizen because he owed allegiance to his tribe when he was born rather than to the U.S., and therefore was not subject to the jurisdiction of the United States when he was born. Justice Gray, speaking for the majority, said The persons declared to be citizens are all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof. The evident meaning of the last words is not merely subject in some respect or degree to the jurisdiction of the United States, but completely subject to their political jurisdiction and owing them direct and immediate allegiance. End quote. So he defined subject to the jurisdiction thereof, and that's an important definition, and here's why. This decision actually held until the Citizen Act of 1924 made Native Americans into citizens in spite of the Elk decision. But fun fact... No subsequent Supreme Court case has ever reversed the majority opinion from Elk v. Wilkins. That opinion is still valid for interpretation for future citizenship issues regarding the 14th Amendment, including that definition of subject to the jurisdiction thereof. And now we'll talk about what's probably the most relevant Supreme Court case to today's topic, where we're talking about the children of foreigners, which is the 1898 case U.S. versus Wong Kim Ark. So to use the court's words exactly, quote, The question presented by the record is whether a child born in the United States of parents of Chinese descent who at the time of his birth are subjects to the emperor of China, but have a permanent domicile and residence in the United States and are there carrying on business and there not employed in any diplomatic or official capacity under the emperor of China, becomes at the time of his birth a citizen of the United States by virtue of the first clause of the 14th Amendment of the Constitution. End quote. In this case, the Supreme Court held that any such child, including Wong Kim Ark, is, in fact, a citizen of the United States. So at least as far as the Supreme Court goes, this pretty much clears up at least part of the question. The Supreme Court has ruled that children born on American soil of two immigrant parents... Are citizens at birth, but it still leaves open the question of whether or not the children of illegal immigrants get citizenship at birth. The current interpretation of the 14th Amendment is based on the presumption that the Wong Kim Ark ruling encompasses illegal aliens too, but strictly speaking the 1898 Wong ruling didn't actually specifically discuss unauthorized immigrants. Because Wong's parents had immigrated permanently and legally to the U.S., some argue that because his parents were legal residents, this case merely extends birthright citizenship to legal immigrants residing in the U.S. for good, and the ruling shouldn't be read as an affirmation of the status of children of undocumented immigrants. The simple fact is we can't know if the court meant for it to apply to the children of undocumented immigrants because there was no such thing as illegal immigration back then. So while it has been the practice to bestow citizenship to children of illegal aliens, this has never actually been ruled on by the Supreme Court. So that's that as far as the Supreme Court goes. According to the Supreme Court, the children of two non-citizen parents who are in the U.S. legally are definitely citizens at birth. And the children of two undocumented immigrants may or may not be citizens of birth. They've never made a decision on it. So now I'm going to move on to what really matters when it comes to the meaning of the Constitution. The original intent. As Thomas Jefferson said, quote, On every question of construction, let us carry ourselves back to the time when the Constitution was adopted. Recollect the spirit manifested in the debates. And instead of trying what meaning may be squeezed out of the text or invented against it, Conform to the probable one in which it was passed, end quote. So let's do that. Let's carry ourselves back to the time when the 14th Amendment was adopted. What was the spirit manifested in that debate? What was the probable meaning of the text? So let's start with the one thing that everybody agreed on, and what everyone still agrees on, which is that the main purpose of the first clause was to overrule Dred Scott, the 1857 Supreme Court decision that said the Constitution barred Congress and the states from granting citizenship to free black people. And as proof, check out what Senator Salisbury said during the debates on the 14th Amendment. Just a heads up here, there's some colorful language in some of these quotes. Please don't shoot the messenger, I'm just going to read them as is for historical accuracy. Senator Salisbury said, quote, "...I do not presume that anyone will pretend to disguise the fact that the object of this first section is simply to declare that Negroes shall be citizens of the United States. There can be no other object in it, I presume, than a further extension of the legislative kindness and beneficence of Congress towards that class of people." So everyone agreed on that. But the question is, did the drafters of the 14th Amendment also intend to grant citizenship to the children of foreigners? And the answer lies entirely on the meaning of the term, subject to the jurisdiction thereof. So to start with, it's certain from these debates that that phrase did exclude Native Americans born subject to a tribe. Senator Howard, who introduced the amendment in the Senate, said when he was asked if it includes Indians, quote, Indians born within the limits of the United States and who maintain their tribal relations are not, in the sense of this amendment, Born subject to the jurisdiction of the United States. They are regarded and always have been in our legislation and jurisprudence as being quasi foreign nations. Senator Trumbull of Illinois also responded to the Indian question. He said, What do we mean by subject to the jurisdiction of the United States? Not owing allegiance to anybody else. That is what it means. Can you sue a Navajo Indian in court? Are they in any sense subject to the complete jurisdiction of the United States? By no means. We make treaties with them, and therefore they are not subject to our jurisdiction. End quote. Senator Williams added to this sentiment by saying, quote, In one sense, all persons born within the geographical limits of the United States are subject to the jurisdiction of the United States, but they are not subject to the jurisdiction of the United States in every sense. Take the child of an ambassador. In one sense, that child born in the United States is subject to the jurisdiction of the United States because if that child commits the crime of murder or commits any other crime against the laws of the country, to a certain extent he is subject to the jurisdiction of the United States, but not in every respect. End quote. He goes on to say, quote, I understand the words here, subject to the jurisdiction of the United States, to mean fully and completely subject to the jurisdiction of the United States. End quote. So he used this example to explain that Indians weren't fully subject to the jurisdiction of the U.S. But his language about the minister's kid is a very important point. Some people argue that illegal aliens are subject to the jurisdiction of the United States, and their justification for that is the fact that if an illegal alien breaks the law, they're still subject to the law and can be punished. This quote from Senator Williams about the diplomat's kid clearly shows that that's not what subject to the jurisdiction thereof means. So all that clears up what the drafters of the 14th Amendment thought about the citizenship of Native Americans, but now let's get back to the main question at hand. Whether or not children born to two foreigners are citizens at birth when they're born on U.S. soil, according to the drafters of the 14th Amendment. So first I'll lay out the case against birthright citizenship. The most cited quote I've seen is from Senator Jacob Howard. Again, he's the guy who introduced the amendment in the first place in the Senate. He said, quote, every person born within the limits of the United States and subject to their jurisdiction is by virtue of natural law and national law, a citizen of the United States. This will not, of course, include persons born in the United States who are foreigners, aliens, who belong to the families of ambassadors or foreign ministers accredited to the government of the United States, but will include every other class of persons. It settles the great question of citizenship and removes all doubt as to what persons are or are not citizens of the United States. End quote. So when you first hear it, that kind of sounds like a knockout blow, right? He just straight up said it doesn't include children born in the U.S. who are foreigners. But if you read it, it may not be the knockout blow that it sounds like. It's not actually clear what the phrase means. The problem is the commas and the weird conjunction placement. So to try and demonstrate this, I'll read it again, but I'll say out loud the commas. Quote, This will not, of course, include persons born in the United States who are foreigners, comma, aliens, comma, who belong to the families of ambassadors or foreign ministers accredited to the government of the United States, comma, but will include every other class of persons, end quote. So do the words foreigners and aliens just describe the people who belong to the families of ambassadors or foreign ministers? In that case, Senator Howard's exception only applies to people who belong to a diplomatic family. Supporters of birthright citizenship endorse this interpretation, Or is it a list of four different categories of people? Foreigners, aliens, people who belong to the families of ambassadors, and people who belong to the families of foreign ministers. Opponents of birthright citizenship endorse this interpretation. One other quote from the original senatorial debates that supports opponents of birthright citizenship is from Senator Johnson, who said, quote, Now all that this amendment provides is that all persons born in the United States and not subject to some foreign power, for that, no doubt, is the meaning of the committee who have brought the matter before us, shall be considered as citizens of the United States. That would seem to be not only wise, but a necessary provision. If there are to be citizens of the United States, there should be some certain definition of what citizenship is. What has created the character of a citizen as between himself and the United States? And the amendment says that citizenship may depend upon birth, And I know of no better way to give rise to citizenship than the fact of birth within the territory of the United States, born to parents who at the time were subject to the authority of the United States. End quote. Emphasis added by me. So there's a couple important points here. Senator Johnson basically said that subject to the jurisdiction thereof means not subject to some foreign power. Some might argue that if you're born in the United States to parents who are foreigners, that depending on the country, you may still owe allegiance to that country and are therefore subject to some foreign power. But the bigger point here is what I emphasized at the end. Born to parents who at the time were subject to the authority of the United States. This seems to imply that the parents too have to be subject to the jurisdiction of the United States. And that certainly narrows it down a bit. And this is an important point when we're talking about whether or not people who are here illegally are subject to the full jurisdiction of the United States. If not, this last sentence here from Senator Johnson seems to indicate that their children would not be citizens. So there's definitely some evidence that at least some of the drafters didn't intend for the children of foreigners to get citizenship. But those in favor of birthright citizenship also have some original intent on their side. So in a very long racist rant, Senator Edgar Cohen of Pennsylvania asks, among other things, quote, is the child of a Chinese immigrant in California a citizen, Unquote. Senator Conniss of California responded, quote, the proposition before us relates simply in that respect to the children begotten of Chinese parents in California, and it is proposed to declare that they shall be citizens, end quote. Now, I'm not going to read the rest of what Senator Conniss says, but I'm not taking this out of context. He was in full support of giving citizenship to the children of Chinese citizens. Now, this is especially compelling because this was the end of the argument. When Senator Connis finished speaking, nobody argued against his reading of the text. They just moved on and kept arguing about Indians. Nobody ever comes back after this point in the debate and directly rebuts what Senator Connis says. That said, he is the only one who says it. Though, I guess you could say the racist rant guy, Senator Cowan, thought the same thing about the meaning of the text and didn't like it. And that was his point, that the wording would make the children of Chinese people citizens. He brought it up as an argument against passing the amendment. So, now after looking at all these historical texts and the originalist tradition that I love, let me tell you my conclusion on the meaning of the Citizenship Clause of the 14th Amendment. I have no idea what the hell it means. No idea whatsoever. As you can see, when we carry ourselves back and recollect the spirit manifested in the debates as Thomas Jefferson implored us, it isn't terribly helpful. It seems that Congress was split on what jurisdiction means. Some senators opposed the phrase subject to the jurisdiction precisely because it would allow Asian immigrants and gypsies to be citizens. Some supporters of the amendment agreed with that view, Some people believed the parents had to be subject to the jurisdiction as well, and still others believed it clearly only referred to the freed slaves. So I have no idea. I'm really sorry. I know that that's not a very satisfying answer, but I think it's the only appropriate one to have. We can't know the original intent. Anyone who claims to is simply cherry-picking quotes they agree with, and that's not how originalism works. I think it's just a poorly written amendment that was passed without proper debate and consensus on definitions. All right, so now that I've given you this epically useless non-answer, let's move on to the second big question, which is, can the president or Congress end birthright citizenship? So in an interview, President Trump said that he could end birthright citizenship with an executive order. So first, let's talk about executive orders in general. Now, in principle, there's a few criteria for an executive order to be valid. First of all, the executive can only use them to direct executive agencies to do certain things. Like, you can't write an executive order telling some random citizen to do something, or some governor, or some state legislature, or Congress. The second thing is, executive orders should only be used to carry out the executive branch's enumerated powers in the Constitution. And the third thing is the executive cannot make laws with executive orders. So that's how they work in principle. But in reality, executive orders have been used many times as a substitute for legislation. They're not supposed to be, but they are sometimes. Anyways, back to the question. What Mr. Trump would essentially be doing if he tried to end birthright citizenship is he'd be challenging the legitimacy of the judiciary, which has decided in the 1898 case that children born here to foreigners, are citizens. Now, the executive could potentially do this by employing what's called the compartmental theory of constitutional interpretation. This theory holds that all three branches of the national government have an equal power to interpret the Constitution. I talked about this in the Supreme Court episode, but as one example, Thomas Jefferson effectively nullified the Alien and Sedition Act by pardoning everyone who was convicted He did this in direct defiance of Congress, and he did it on constitutional grounds. He employed his own interpretation of the Constitution, even though Congress had gotten it wrong. Another example is Andrew Jackson vetoed a bill renewing the National Bank Charter on constitutional grounds, and this was in direct defiance of the Supreme Court in McCullough v. Maryland in 1819, where they ruled that this National Bank is constitutional. Another good example is President Lincoln. He issued patents and passports to black people in direct defiance of the Supreme Court 1857 Dred Scott decision, which held that black people can't be citizens. Now, if President Trump wanted to employ this method, the only way it would effectively work is if he was really being honest. Compartmental theory only works if you're actually employing your real view of what the Constitution means. I haven't heard him argue that the Constitution doesn't mean that. He's just said that he could change it. Now, in reality, he doesn't have to be honest. He could just do it anyway. But if his argument isn't compelling enough, then there's obviously political blowback to worry about. He could be primaried by his own party. He could be voted out of office. He can act in defiance of the Supreme Court, but there definitely could be political consequences. And if he doesn't do a good job convincing the people that he's doing this for constitutional reasons then it seems like he's just usurping the Constitution. And that's not a good look. At least it shouldn't be in a free country where we care what the Constitution says. So while the president can employ his own interpretation of the Constitution in the compartmental theory, I'm certainly not going to be convinced by any appeal to originalism for the reasons I already laid out. Originalism isn't that helpful. Because in this case, there's not a consensus on what they meant. So I think there would be blowback and quite a bit of it. Now, if the executive doesn't employ this method and instead just signs an executive order saying, I hereby end birthright citizenship, if he acts in accordance with that, as in taking executive action against certain people, it doesn't really change anything. 14th Amendment aside, the U.S. law says that anyone born here is a citizen. Until that law changes, they are citizens. So if Mr. Trump takes action against them, like deportation or depriving them of benefits, legally speaking, this could be considered discrimination or a civil rights violation. If that were the case, there'd be lawsuits, and there'd obviously be the same political blowback I mentioned before. He could be primaried, he could be voted out of office. So to sum it up, the president has some options, but it's pretty dicey. And I don't see it ending well. So now let's move on to whether Congress can do it senator lindsey graham specifically said that congress can pass a law ending birthright citizenship so i really have the same exact point to make here if congress did pass a law like that it would be in direct defiance of the 1898 wong decision which declared children born here with foreign parents are citizens just like the president the congress is free to employ the compartmental theory of constitutional interpretation One example is Congress passed a law in 1862 that banned slavery in the U.S. territories, which was in direct defiance of the Dred Scott decision. And Congress actually overturned Dred Scott even before the 14th Amendment with the Civil Rights Act of 1866, which declared black Americans all free now to be citizens entitled to equal rights. Or how about the very pertinent example I just mentioned earlier, the Citizen Act of 1924, which made Native Americans into citizens. This was in direct defiance of the Elk decision that I talked about, which said Native Americans born into a tribe can't be citizens. Like I said, the majority opinion offered in Elk versus Wilkins has still never been overturned by the Supreme Court. It's not extreme, therefore, to suggest that Congress should pass laws directly contradicting the court when it believes the court has overstepped its bounds. The problem here is, just like when I was talking about the president, I don't think there's a good case to be made that the original intent of the 14th amendment didn't give birthright citizenship. There's not a good case that it did, but there's not a good case that it didn't either. So to defy the Supreme Court with weak evidence like that is probably gonna end with very similar blowback to what I described earlier, which would be a lot of congressmen being voted out of office. Congress has the option, I just, I don't think it'll end well. All right, so now I've answered or at least attempted to answer everything I set out to at the beginning. But i got to say, this may be the least straightforward constitutional issue I've covered so far. So now let me wrap up my thoughts and kind of give you my conclusion on this birthright citizenship thing. When it comes to original intent, there's no good answer. There was no consensus. They did not agree on terms and definitions. This amendment was poorly written and even more poorly debated. When it comes to the Supreme Court, there is a straightforward answer. In the 1898 Wong case... The court ruled that anyone born on American soil, even to parents who are foreigners, is a citizen at birth. But you all know how I feel about the Supreme Court. This decision deserves no judicial weight, especially since it was just a half ass attempt to construe the original intent of the drafters. Which we now know is impossible in this case. When it comes to whether or not the children of illegal aliens are citizens at birth... That's not actually clear. Even with the 1898 ruling, there's a decent argument that that doesn't apply to the children of illegal aliens. But there's also a decent argument that it does. When it comes to whether or not the president can unilaterally end birthright citizenship, I think the argument against the citizenship clause granting birthright citizenship is too weak for this to work. Without a solid original intent argument, the compartmental theory of constitutional interpretation that I champion doesn't really work. So the president could try it, but I don't think it'll work. I don't think it'll end well. Maybe instead of trying to end birthright citizenship outright, the president could try to end birthright citizenship for the children of illegal aliens. Effectively, all that would do is set up the Supreme Court to finally decide on the citizenship status of the children of illegal aliens. And whatever they decide, again, there's no solid originalist argument to fight their decision. And as far as whether Congress can unilaterally end birthright citizenship, the same exact thing applies as with the president. Without a solid originalist argument, they can't convincingly demonstrate that the Supreme Court was wrong in 1898. So if you're an opponent of birthright citizenship for illegal aliens' children, the president or Congress can act and force the Supreme Court to make a decision, which may or may not turn out in your favor. But... If you're an opponent of birthright citizenship as a whole, I think the only proper recourse is a constitutional amendment. I think the argument that the Citizenship Clause does give birthright citizenship to all is no stronger than the argument that it doesn't. But that interpretation has an advantage because it happens to be the law as understood right now. So I think we're stuck with it unless there's a constitutional amendment. Now, I'm not convinced that... Birthright citizenship is a net negative, but I think it's definitely a worthwhile debate, and I could definitely be swayed one way or the other. Colin Moriarty and I talked about it. He made some good points. So that's all I really have to say about that. I know my answers can't be terribly satisfying. We normally walk away from these episodes feeling more certain than when we started, but I don't think any of us feel that way now. So sorry about that, but them's the breaks... I'm just being honest. I don't think this is straightforward. I don't think there's a good answer. But I hope you take that uncertainty with you when you talk with other people about this. This is definitely an issue where certainty has no place in the discussion. As you go forward and people argue with you about the meaning of the citizenship clause, keep all this in mind and just know that certainty on their part either means they're being dishonest or they're just misinformed. This is Lt. Michael Autry signing off for now. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time on Unalienable. Please like the show's page at facebook.com slash unalienablepodcast. If you're interested, you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram. Just search for Michael Autry on either one. That's Autry spelled A-U-T-E-R-Y. If you like the show and you want to help keep it going, there are many ways you can support it. You can review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or YouTube, or wherever you happen to listen to it. You can share it on social media with your friends. You can talk about it on your own blog or podcast. Or if you'd like, you can support the show directly. You can do this by subscribing through patreon.com unalienable. Thanks again for listening, and thank you so much for your support of the show.